Complaining about dysfunctional, disengaged boards, it's almost an Olympic sport in the nonprofit sector. As if it's all the fault of the board. As if somehow a bunch of knuckleheads dropped like manna from heaven and they actually joined your board to be of no value. As if board chairs don't have some responsibility to learn at least a bit about how to manage, lead, and motivate volunteers. As if EDs have only nominal responsibility to keep the passion fire of the board members burning bright. As if EDs feel like board members don't really add that much value. After all, none of them have been executive directors. I could go on, and we could make a nice long list of the things that need to be attended to, the things we need to prioritize to get it right, recruitment, orientation, engaging board meetings, fundraising trainings. But these priorities, they actually never become priorities, do they? I've come to realize that there's a reason these items never make it to the top of the to-do list, and it's something that we are not talking about. So I'm going to talk about it right now, like today right now. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits, I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Okay, I'm ready to talk about it. You ready to hear? Why is it that we don't do the things we all need to do to ensure that our boards are high-functioning? Well, my hypothesis is that organizations don't invest in their boards because they don't understand the payoff. Why should I bother? So to tackle that question, we have to draw a picture of what a high-functioning board looks like. You know, I often talk about this with clients when we are working through some kind of organizational change, that if you want to make a change, you can't focus on the idea of fixing what's broken. Think about it. Folks who are part of an organization are invested in the work, and they don't really want to be diminished by someone telling them that it's broken. I remember working with a new ED client once who kept saying she had been hired to professionalize the organization. A clear charge and noble, too, given their work. But every time she said it, it triggered in at least some of the existing staff that what they had been doing, how they had been working, was unprofessional. And so the change became harder But what if you talk about instead what's possible, the impact you could have when there's change? I call this embracing the possibility of a new destination. And while I talk about boards all the time, offering lots of advice and actionable steps you can take to build a more high-functioning board, I don't think I've ever really outlined what we're aiming for. What does a high-functioning board look like? What does it do? How does it operate? How does it add value? If I went to a board meeting of a high-functioning board, what might I see? 
Let's give it a go, shall we? And I'd like to ask you a favor. I'd like to ask you to suspend disbelief. Why? Because I know that you can improve your board. You can move away from the hot mess stage and get on the path to high functioning. I know it's possible. I have helped people do it. And you might be skeptical. So I need you to, as my new favorite fictional character, Ted Lasso, would say, I need you to believe. So what does it look like? I'm going to focus on five things I look for that says healthy functioning board. One, recruitment. If I see a nominations committee with something akin to a matrix of skills, attributes, expertise, and experience, and I see a list, an actual list of potential prospects, then I think we're getting somewhere. I need the efforts of nominations to be something that is way north of, does anyone know anyone who might want to be on our board? Or what I call the butts in seats non-strategy. And if I hear the words, we could really use more women, I run for the Advil. What I want to hear, our priorities are a CPA and someone who knows digital media. And where might we, let's brainstorm about where we might recruit for a woman or a person of color with those skills. That's what I'm looking for On a high-functioning board that's doing recruitment, they're doing it like that. Number two, gatherings. Board meetings. I'm going to talk more about this in a minute. But at a high level, (laughs) first of all, it should just be really clear who the board chair is. Sometimes you um, walk into a board meeting and you can't tell because the executive director is really driving the bus. But a board meeting should be really well run and there should be opportunities for board members' voices to be heard and valued. When I'm at that meeting, I should also feel a sense of camaraderie as if people actually know and care about one another. There's a kind of cohesion about that board in that meeting that's leading to a kind of respectful debate and dialogue. Committees. This is the second kind of gathering I'm looking for. First of all, you should have them. (laughs) Each committee should have a charge, a charge. Why do they exist? And annual goals. If you have problems with people showing up to committee meetings, it may be that they don't know what success looks like or how they can best contribute to that success. So that's gatherings. So recruitment, number two is gatherings. Number three, clarity of roles and responsibilities. A high-functioning board has an excellent interview process that does not sell any responsibility short, not one single one of them. From committee service to fundraising to being a visible ambassador for the work, the process makes it clear that board service is important and a big job. We cannot shy away from that. 
Somehow or another, we think that volunteers want to do small, unimportant jobs, not people who want to join boards. The other thing is that a high-functioning board has some kind of ongoing professional development that enables board members to deliver on their responsibilities. Maybe you bring in someone to teach everyone how to read a balance sheet so folks don't check email during the finance report. Maybe practice storytelling with a concise impact story any board member could tell the supermarket cashier. You could bring in a funder to talk about why she funds the organization or an expert in the sector to help the board understand and appreciate how this organization's work fits into the bigger picture of the sector. So that's clarity of roles and responsibilities and an investment in them. Number four, relationship with staff. So what are we looking for here in a high-functioning board? We're looking for mutual respect, like R-E-S-P-E-C-T, respect. An admiration by the board of the staff's talent and commitment and listen up, a respect by the staff of the board's talents and a gratitude that these board members chose your organization. If you have done items one through three correctly, the high-functioning board has a great deal to contribute, and it must be respected and valued. The tension I see far too often actually way too often, stems from the lack of respect staff leaders have for their boards. They don't see them as valuable enough to warrant the appropriate level of investment. Sometimes I see arrogance. Well, (laughs) they don't know my job. They don't know how hard I work. They try to micromanage me. They have no clue what happens here all every day. Do you see the vicious cycle? If you don't recruit well and you don't invest in your board's professional development and their involvement and context about the sector, that's the kind of relationship you're likely to develop. Your board will have no clue. And if you believe in my model that says that a high-functioning nonprofit organization is like a twin-engine jet, I'm going to tell you that tension in the cockpit is not good for anyone. So what have we got so far? We've got recruitment, intentional, gatherings, well-run, clarity of goals. Then number three, we have clarity of roles and responsibilities of board members and an investment in them. Number four is a relationship with the staff that's based in mutual respect. And number five, we look at a high-functioning board and we see that it makes decisions in a different kind of way. It understands that there are three levels of decision-making. Fiduciary, strategic, and generative. So if you stay with my twin-engine jet model for a moment, I want you to think about fiduciary decision-making as being sort of on the tarmac. I want you to think about strategic decision-making as kind of that um, point in the the flight when the captain comes on and says, you may now use portable electronic devices. 
That's your 10,000 feet. And then seatbelt sign comes off when we reach cruising altitude. That's generative. So what do I mean? Fiduciary is risk management, what I call looking for the uh uh-ohs, right? Remember, boards see themselves as playing the role of oversight. (laughs) They look for what could be going wrong. Now, that's not an unimportant thing, but think about that. If all we're doing is risk management, how much innovation is there? Not that much. So your 10,000-foot strategic level of decision-making is about problem-solving. It's more short-term, and it might be solving for variances. So almost everyone in 2020 had to enter the strategic phase of problem-solving when their annual gala was canceled because of COVID. All right. How do we solve for that variance that we're going to have in special event revenue? Where might we pick up other revenue? Should we look at cutting expenses? Right? Should we give up our office space and let everybody go virtual? That's a strategic conversation. Right? Get that difference between fiduciary, right? Generative. Generative is about what's possible. So... We've all heard about organizations that have gotten $10 million gifts out of sort of out of the blue. Mackenzie Bezos is one person, but there are others. Wish there were more. What's the generative conversation there? What if somebody knocked on your door? What if you were next? I'm sending you a check for $10 million. What are you going to do with it? That's the what if conversation. That's the what's possible conversation. That's the aspiration. What kind of impact do you want to have in the world? What would be magical to accomplish? So what's challenging is that because we, because we don't have high-functioning boards, because we don't attend to items one, two, three, and four, the board may not have enough information, context, understanding to get much beyond well, that gift came in. We should just put that in reserve, right? They don't get much beyond fiduciary. They're in the risk management business because they just don't have enough arrows in their quiver. Without solid training about roles and responsibilities, they focus on the word oversight and they choose to live in the risk management business on the hunt for mistakes or what could be going wrong. And by the way, that's another thing that causes tension between staff and board. If the board is living in the risk management space, right, that staff feels like someone's looking over their shoulder and they want it all to be different. And they're saying, well, you've never been an executive director. Right. You see how this you put all these ingredients in a stew pot and you don't and you minimize um, the chances of building something that's high functioning. But with some attention to giving your board the tools they need, they can and will want to engage both strategically and generatively. And if you then have a board retreat where you start to vision the future, you're going to have partners at the table. 
instead of ducklings that just want to know what the head duckling wants to do. Okay, so there's five ways, five indicators of a high-functioning board. You're listening to Nonprofits Are Messy. Thank you for joining me today. In case you haven't picked up my latest book, during COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my first edition of Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is in paperback, and you can learn more about it at book.joangary.com. And now back to the podcast. So when you put it all together, what do you get? So when we put all of these things together and we actually have this high-functioning board that I've asked you to help me to imagine, how can I bring that to life for you in some way that makes you say, yeah, I want that, I need that, and it's worth investing my time and energy to get that. So I thought it might be useful to do a bit of a case study by bringing this idea of a high-functioning board to life by drawing a picture of what happens at a board meeting of a healthy nonprofit board. I think it's a way I can help you put the pieces together. And again, please, 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 please don't just listen to this and feel bad. I want you to hear it and say, okay, we don't have many of those things, but why don't we just try one or two of those things? The reason that's potentially a really good idea is when you start down this path, board and staff start to see what I call proof of concept. Oh, that's what high functioning looks like. Let's do more of that. Okay, so here's the, um, the board meeting of a high functioning board. Let's give it a go. Doesn't matter what this organization does. Let's assume it's an organization with a budget in the range of one to three million dollars. And let's assume the organization is on a fiscal calendar year. A couple of other assumptions. Let's assume there are four to six board meetings a year and they generally run two or two and a half hours. And let's say this particular one is two and a half hours. And let's imagine it's in September. The budget is currently being developed and it's going to be presented at a special meeting in November called specifically to go through and approve the budget. This September board meeting is all about the goals for next year. I believe that a high-functioning board creates kind of anchor topics for each board meeting that makes sense given the varying milestones that are happening within the organization. And if you're going to approve your budget in November, in September, you want to be talking about the goals that are going to underpin this budget, right? And I'm not just talking about the ED and the organization's goals, but I am talking about those. What I'm imagining is that solid drafts of those goals, the EDs and the organization's goals, will be presented by the ED and discussed and shaped. 
board members will ask some smart, strategic questions and perhaps probe about how those goals align with the five-year vision that you all talked about at the board retreat earlier in the year. The discussion will drive edits, and the edited goals will serve as the underpinning for the budget you approve in November. So that when the budget comes before the board, they understand that what it is, is a roadmap to the accomplishment of those goals. And they say, well, why are we spending this money here? You can say, well, as we discussed in September, we really agreed that, that X, Y, and Z were priorities. And in order to deliver on those during calendar year 20, fill in the blank, we actually need to spend money here. The money makes sense in the context of goals. So your board meeting has an anchor, sort of an, an anchor theme. It's about goals for the next fiscal year. Next, your board members in their committees present their goals for review by the rest of the group. Uh Uh-huh. Committees have goals. So let's talk about nominations and governance. Let's say they are asked to do a presentation. They talk about their activities during the current year and what they have learned that is shaping their thinking for next year's goals. And so they do a relatively brief presentation about their goals for the upcoming fiscal year. Some examples might include recruitment priorities. Here are the particular skills, expertise, and attributes that we want to focus on in the upcoming fiscal year so that our board is stronger in the following ways. Another example of a goal might be an assessment of the bylaws as it relates to really fine-tuning and thinking about term limits differently, really tackling that. Maybe you have term limits, but you don't enforce them. But next year, the Nominations and Governance Committee is going to look at the bylaws, and they're going to come back with a proposal about term limits that makes sense, that honors institutional memory, and brings new voices and faces to the table. The third thing that they want to explore is, what if we had co-chairs? rather than a single chair. What are the pros and cons of that? Could that help us in some way to build a leadership pipeline? Is that something an executive director would find beneficial? Right. So there's some examples of some goals that the Nominations and Governance Committee would present for the upcoming fiscal year. The Development Committee, their goals could look like something like this. How about a presentation of how other nonprofits handle a give-or-get policy? A goal is to engage the board in a a discussion about how it may move towards such a model. Another goal might be the introduction of a board member fundraising plan. Again, the charge of a development committee should be a peer accountability mechanism for the board, right? How does it, as a committee, help the board to make sure it has the tools that it needs to be excellent development ambassadors, and holds them accountable to do so. Another goal might be, you know, we have not cracked corporate sponsorship that is not tied to a special event. And we have a number of corporate folks on our board. So this coming year, we would actually like to start to help the staff develop a presentation deck to begin to open up doors for corporate sponsorship not tied to a special event. 
These are things that would definitely keep a development committee busy. The executive committee might decide next year we're going to revamp the overly simplistic executive director review process, or we're going to develop a plan for board member professional development training throughout the year. Or the executive committee might say, our job, one of our big jobs next year is to lead efforts to plan an annual board meeting with strategic visioning as the anchor agenda item, leaving plenty of time for the board to develop into a cohesive team. Do you know how many organizations there are where the ED plans the board retreat? Why would that be? The Finance Committee. Maybe there's long been a conversation about whether or not there's a sufficient number of staff resources in the finance area. So maybe the Finance Committee is going to tackle that and make some recommendations. Or maybe they're going to actually make a commitment to going and finding somebody who can come in and train the board on financial literacy. Um a minimum of one training to make sure that every single board member owns the responsibility of financial stewardship. I'd like to see a goal that is about enrichment and professional development. Perhaps the board chair and the ED come up with a list of guests to invite in that they tap into who can enrich the board. It could be training. It could be a pre-read on volunteering with 20 minutes set aside for a book club on takeaways. Are you getting a picture that the board is doing its own work? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that twin engine jet model where one of the engines is the board and one of the engines is the staff and that the board attends to its own business to make sure that it is high functioning. A high-functioning board pays attention to how it can be high-functioning and does not simply follow the lead of the executive director. That's what I'm talking about here. So an ED is going to make a presentation at this board meeting. They are not going to repeat their board report. The ED should build, let's say, 20 minutes of every board meeting into a presentation that ignites the board's why. It could be a presentation on new social media strategy. It could be reflections on several donor meetings the executive director has had. Whatever it is should ignite my passion for the mission of the organization. I might even get some goosebumps and I leave with a story I can't wait to tell when I get home. Now, have you noticed that I have not mentioned the board reports that go out ahead of time yet? Okay, I'm going to mention them now. That's where all the report out stuff is. It's in that board packet. But what I want in that board packet is concise reports from staff with a front page summary. One page bullet points. And on that page, I want to know, if I'm a board member, what do I really need to know, absorb, consider, and think about as I read your report, I don't want a series of book reports. Tell me why your report matters. Don't assume I know. I'm busy. I have another job. Make these reports worth reading. Tell me as a board member why I should care other than to know. <laughs> I'm laughing because... I have seen so many board report booklets where every single board report opens with, 
it's been a busy quarter. Well, I would like to know something other than how busy the staff has been, right? I don't want these reports to be so dense because they're sort of preemptive strikes so that I can't ask a single question because everything is in the report. And enough already with the board members don't read my board reports. It's your job to make them worth reading. And I've always thought it would be really cool to actually give board members a quiz on the contents of the board book. And I'm only half kidding. Maybe you could make it about find the typos or something. So that's a board meeting of a high-functioning board. What are the takeaways? The board has its own work. The board has the underpinnings to be of legitimate value. The board is carefully curated so the right people are at the table. And you now have a bigger army of leaders and ambassadors. That's what it looks like. And why does it matter? I think, I hope you saw it in the board meeting. Three reasons. It matters because if you have a high-functioning board, you are not flying solo. Secondly, careful recruitment gets the right people on the bus, each of whom bring diverse perspectives leading to better, richer decision-making. And number three, diverse board members bring diverse spheres of influence, more and different people. And board members taught to be storytellers become enthusiastic ambassadors who are ready, willing, able, and enthusiastic about getting out there and talking about the organization and inviting people to come closer, to know more, and do more. And when all of that is on point, you get more people and people equals power. Those, to me, are three big reasons why it matters to have a high-functioning board. Partnership, the right people on the bus who help you make really great decisions, and a posse full of diverse people, each of whom bring a different sphere of influence. So there are so many more people who can learn about this organization, and have the joy and privilege of being connected to it. I'd say that's something to shoot for. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.